Hello and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and joining me, as always, a man who knows where his towel is, it's Tucker. Hey, Tucker. Hi, Stephen. How's, How's it going, going, buddy? No, I asked you first. I think we asked each other simultaneously, but no, I'm doing okay, well. Let's 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 give our answers simultaneously. One, two, three. I'm doing well. well. I was sick this morning, but I'm feeling better now. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm you're still, feeling better. I'm trying to hit the mute button every time I make a big snuff or a cough. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of chest congestion, a lot of mucus, and there's still mm-hmm. a little bit of it left. So I will try to. I, and if I don't, I'll edit it out. If there's any in the final product, I apologize. But your boy's been sick for like the last two days. And it's really and, uh, and speaking of not feeling well, Brett is currently attending uh, a Vogon poetry reading. So um, we wish him a very speedy recovery uh, and that he is able to make it back to us soon without dying. We wish him the third speediest recovery. That's right. In the universe. In the universe. The galaxy, the universe, whatever. Um, Tucker... It is, Hi. it is towel day. And, yes. be, and because it is towel day, Tucker, what are we covering? Is that a day? It's one of those arbitrary, where do you get these holidays? Dude, there is, there is a whole and... calendar online that like has lists of like various pop culture holidays. How offended would you be if I made fun of you every time you mentioned one of them? I mean, you, they're really dumb. You're going to be doing it a lot, man, because there's a there. I, I have a whole calendar on my phone but I also, also, of pop I culture like, holidays. I like you and I don't want to, like, upset you. Like, how hard can I make fun of you when it comes to these holidays? Like, on a scale from one to ten, how bad can I tease you about them? I mean, don't bully me. Don't don't oh, be a no, dick. that would be a ten. So it's maybe <laughs> a six, six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, man, I just look, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly I am constantly looking for excuses to cover some of these movies. And so and if I'm there's, glad you are. It gives us direction. It really does. I, that's what I'm trying to do here, man. But I'm I ju- still want to tease you about it because it's a gold mine. Look, man, Did I say I just, gold mind. My I, mind is gold. <laughs> look, it's been a it's been a hell of a week. Um, You've been it? sick. I've been I've been dealing with my own stuff like it's 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 been a week, man. So. We can we can we can extend each other some grace tonight. That'd be okay. Uh, but because it is Tell Day, we are covering what film, Tucker? You also have it on DVD. I do too. It's a film that I own on DVD and purchased not long after it was released on DVD. Same. It is. Uh, what year did this come out, Stephen? Two thousand and five. Oh, I was close. It's two thousand and five's. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, directed by music video director Garth Jennings, which connects mm-hmm. it to our last week's episode. Yep. Uh, directed by Garth Jennings, written by um, uh, Douglas Adams and uh, the, the man who wrote all previous iterations of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, as well as uh, some script support from uh, Carrie, Kirk, Carrie Kirkpatrick. Blah, blah. And uh, starring Sam Rockwell, Yasin Bey, better known in this film as Moe's Def. The, the mighty Moe's Def. The mighty Moe's Def, who, uh, just hot take alert, best part of this movie. Um, We'll get into that. We're going to get into it. Uh, Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of arguing between past Tukey and modern Tukey. Because yeah. we, we disagree on this movie. 
I think I think Steven's going to agree more with Pastuki. So probably, probably. Uh, Martin Freeman, Bill Nye, Warwick Davis, Alan Rickman, Anna Chancellor, Helen Mirren, Dame motherfucking Helen Mirren, the great Stephen Fry, John Malkovich, Bill Bailey, Ian McNeese, Richard Griffiths, Thomas Lennon, Simon Jones. What what an unbelievable cast! What what a cast! What a picture! What a cast! What a cast! What a picture. What a cast full stop. <laughs> ask me by where I first ran into this movie. Ask me, Steven. Ask me. Tucker, where did you first run into this movie? Uh, well, you see, uh, <laughs> back when Black on Both Sides by Most Def dropped in 1998, uh, your boy was way into that. I had a friend mm-hmm. who introduced me to that record, and then the Black Star album came out a couple years after that, which was Most Def and Talib Kweli. Mm-hmm. whose name is in the middle of equality, BTW. And so I'm a big fan of Mos Def. And I'd seen him in a few, he had some bit parts in a few things. He had a big part in his first collaboration with Alan Rickman, an HBO movie called Something the Lord Made, which mm. is a, a movie about some doctors who created the cure for something or something. I don't remember. I remember I watched it when it came out because I really like Mos Def. And I was like, yeah, he's really good in this. Something, like, something, doctor, was, something, something, cure. Yeah. Yes, but that's what made me interested in him as an actor beyond just like, hey, that's one of my favorite rappers right now. That right. Movie. And then when this movie came out, I was so excited that he was mm-hmm. in it for the same reason that I was excited that the the It gal was in Dungeons and Dragons. Because see, like, our, had... uh, see our most recent episode of uh, What Are We Watching coming out, I'm sure, very soon on Patreon.com. Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. Okay. Um, Sunday's when we're dropping those right on Sunday, 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 Sunday. Uh, but so I was really excited to see this. Um, and I did see it. I saw it at the movie theater and I loved it. And then I bought the DVD and I continued to love it. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And it's been sitting on my shelf for at least probably six or seven years without being looked at until yesterday. Mm-hmm. What about you, Steven? What, what's your history? with this film, this franchise and it's many actors, this movie. So I had a passing familiarity with Douglas Adams and his hitchhikers guide to the galaxy series. Um, he passed away the year I graduated from high school. Um, and then this movie came out literally the week before I graduated from college. Um, like my last day of classes. And then this movie came out like, so like the next day, So there was one class I was in danger of not passing. I got an email from my professor that I had, in fact, passed. I grabbed my towel. I threw it over my shoulder. I got in a car with a bunch of my friends, and we drove up to the suburb of Chicago, the the city I currently live just north of, and we caught opening night of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We all had our towels. Like, we had, and it was, we had such an absolute blast. Um. I, there was a girl that I was seeing at the time. She and I went up together and listened to a bunch of Billy Joel on the way up, which was great. Yeah. Um, it was, it was just a really great night. Like I remember having a really good time. Um, and it was kind of, it was a bunch of seniors. So it was like all of most, for most of us, it was like our last kind of hurrah in college. And then like the next weekend was like baccalaureate and all like, so the next week was like full of packing and baccalaureate and all that all the other shit that we had to do to get ready for graduation uh so that was kind of like our last hurrah and we had such a great time like it was about we we went to school about an hour south of chicago 
we took we drew, we took the drive up we we saw the movie we had a blast we we saw the midnight showing so we didn't get back to the dorms until like 3 a.m um and we had a it was it was a blast we had such a great time and uh, i this movie has long occupied a soft spot for me um is it the best movie ever no but after an opening like so long and thanks for all the fish um I am, I was pretty much in on whatever that movie had in store for me after that. Like I was, I was buckled in and I was up for whatever after that. And uh, the rest of the movie is pretty damn fun. It's charming. I like it. Oh yeah. The Um, first 20 minutes of this movie are great. Really solid. Really anytime Stephen Fry kind of takes over the, the narration of the movie or anytime he kind of chimes in to like give the little asides as the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Um, fucking brilliant. Like I, I love it so much. And I also really love, and I'm kind of bummed that Brett is stuck at that poetry slam because uh, it's something he and I have long uh, heralded on this podcast, like practical effects, like all the Vogons and the Julie crabs yes. are created by the Jim Henson character Jim Henson, creature yes, workshop. Man. And, it shows like that it and like Garth Jennings was very adamant. This is his first feature mm-hmm. and he was very adamant that the locations and the sets be real, like real lived in things. And I, God bless him for that because it, it makes a huge difference. Like I think this movie is so much fun because of that. Like, I think that's what, that might be one of my favorite things about this movie is everything's practical. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. I think the only practical effect that I do not like and honestly have never liked, even when I was a big fan of this movie, is I don't like the design or the execution of of the android, of Marvin. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. It's too guy in a suit for me. I mean, it, it's, it it's, has been. it's the great war of I know, Davis. I know who it is and I know that's what it is, but I don't care. I've never liked it feel like it should have been a lot more robotic even though he is an android so he's going to be human like but he's just it just looks bad to me because it literally suit, looks like a guy in a suit apparently one of the most difficult things that work davis ever had to do in a movie because that suit weighs about two-thirds of what he weighs yes absolutely. and so he's constantly like lugging around this giant heavy um suit uh the it. entire movie and it was apparently very difficult for him to do I think Alan Rickman is really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I just mentioned that because we were talking about Marvin. I wasn't. Yeah, trying to no, get he into, is. Like, he is. Really he's absolutely phenomenal in this, and he does such a great job. Like Marvin has all my favorite moments in this movie. Um, like, despite the fact that I think Mo's death is the MVP of this film, um, Marvin has all my favorite lines, including the um, "I've got a million ideas." They all point to certain death, like. That was almost my intro for you. The man who has a, th- a million ideas that all point to certain death. Like what, a, me, Mo- what, a, what a great, what a great character is Marvin. I don't know. I love him. For me, Mo's death gets the bless his heart award for this movie. Cause I love Mo's death and I love what he's doing here. He's really giving it his all. He's very but, tuned into what this movie is supposed to mm-hmm. be. But ultimately for me, He's really the only one doing that. I agree. Like, and I love Sam Rockwell, but I get sick of his George Bush impression after about 20 minutes. And that's exactly what it is. 
I Academy Award him. winner Sam Rockwell. Yeah. One of my favorite actors. He's One of my so favorite good. character actors of all time. Yeah, he's great. But for it's me, it's a bummer he's... that after three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, he just decided to play racist for the rest of his career. <laughs> Golly, which was uh, also a hot take. That movie sucks. I've not seen it. That's that's well, the I one Martin McDonough film I have not seen. I <laughs> own In Bruges. I love Banshees of Inner Sharon. I have not seen Three Billboards. I don't know what any of those words you just said meant. You have not seen In Bruges? You ain't seen Bad Boys 2. What you mean? I ain't seen Bad Boys 2. No, you need to see In Bruges. You would love it. It is Colin Farrell. That? It sounds like a color in French. Is that a French color? No, Bruges is a town in Brussels. Okay. Um, but it's it's about sprout. it's about two hitmen played by Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Oh, that's the one that was. I know what that is. I just didn't know that's what it was called. With Ray Fiennes, and it's 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 so good. It's a, it's an absolutely incredible film. Um, I love that, I, yeah. I love it. It's a really underrated comedy. Like it's like really downplay. In fact, the guy who who the 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 non molesty um or the 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 non molesty Howard the Duck Jordan Prentice is in in Bruges. Um, and he's very good in it. He's, he's a lot of fun. The voice actor guy. No. Um, the other little person. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Who was, who was in the suit when like, he was the kid that had like the really great range of movement that they initially cast. And then they realized that he wasn't going to be available half the time. So then Ed Gale got the the part. He's a kid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Ed Gale did like most of the other stuff. Like Ed Gale was it for most of the time, but whenever it wasn't Ed Gale, it was Jordan Prentice. So, and Jordan nice. Prentice is in In Bruges and he's really good in it. Like well, I didn't realize that was by the same guy. That's crazy. Yeah. It's wow. he's he's done that Banshees of Inisherin which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars this past year. That's that new one. People yeah, love is, that movie. It's good. It's that. real real good. I might look at it. It just doesn't really seem like my cup of tea, but I might look at it. I mean, it it's 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 something. Like you got to be in the right headspace for it cuz it it can get it gets pretty dark. Um Spoiler alert, uh, Brendan Gleeson cuts off all the fingers on one of his hands um, in that movie. So. Very, very cool. It kind of is. Very cool. But yeah, it's about uh, two two old friends who one of them just decides, I don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> and it's about kind of how their relationship continues to deteriorate after that. Um. But yeah, it's it's fucking great. Barry Keegan, Carrie Condon. It, what a, what a guy, great movie. That guy was on SNL because of that movie. Which one? The not Colin Farrell guy. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. He's he great. Was on I love Brendan Gleeson. He, he wasn't really that good on SNL. But that doesn't mean he's not a good actor. It's just some people are better at, you know. Acting? Some people that, yeah, yeah, not everybody's, you know, can can do SNL well. Some of the best actors have flopped and been shit on Mm -hmm. snl so it's not it's definitely not uh uh saying anything bad about him i'm just saying his whether it was the writing or whether it was him it seemed more like it was him he was having a great time but it just didn't it wasn't a good episode for my money brennan gleason's right up there with brian cox in terms of like aging character actors who just lend gravitas to anything they do so i'm i'm a big fan of both of those guys anything they do i'm like there for it i think Um, brian cox would be good on snl he might or he might not Honestly, the the reason I wouldn't want to see Brian Cox on SNL is because he wouldn't be able to say fuck off in every sketch. And after Succession, that's all I want to see him do is just yell at people and tell them to fuck off. I haven't seen the Succession. Oh, dude, it's Successions. It's real I good. I know. You keep telling me. And maybe one day I'll get to it. 
I mean, it's, it's it's the Ted Lasso thing in that it's like really overhyped and you kind of don't want to get into it. I, I understand. I've got, I've just Although, got lots of shows, man. There's Righteous shows. Gemstone season three trailer. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen the trailer, but it comes out in a month. The show comes out in a month. Season three drops in a month. I'm very excited. You know, you know, another show comes out next month that I'm really excited for. What's that? Gremlin's Secret of the Mogwai. Oh yeah. You let me know how that is, Steven. Uh, yep. You bet. You let, let me, just let me, let me know. Cause I, I'm sure we'll cover it on a, what are you watching segment someday? Ooh, that trailer. Mm-mm. I was not a fan of that trailer. Don't care. It's also, I'm um, there. day one. Always sunny is back in 17 days. Saw that trailer as well. That's one of the girlfriend's favorite shows. So we'll, we'll definitely be watching that one for sure. What we do in the shadows is back in 53 days. I, I wish I watched There's that show show. You don't watch. Okay. <laughs> Only murders in the building is back in two and a half months. Hell yeah. I'm kind of excited for that show, story. except like one of one of the most overrated actresses in American history is in that in the, is in that show of the third season. So I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Wait, Glenn Close? No. Who is it you don't like? Meryl Streep. Meryl St- I get them. Confused. The thing that's going to get me canceled one day is the fact that I really don't like Meryl Streep. I think she's really yeah. over. I think she's good. I just think she's bought into her own hype and I kind of don't like her for that. And like it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for me to separate Meryl from her own hype. That's kind of how I feel of, uh, about this movie a little bit. Like it, it's it's a bit, it's not quite as clever as it gives itself credit for ninety percent of the time. In in my the writing, I would say the writing. Sure. Um, I mean, and I mean, what, we can get into it because this. Let's. Let's do, plot, though. Let's do the plot. Let's do the plot. I really so, hope it's you because I have this movie just meanders so long in so many places that half the time I don't even know what the point of it is. And I never have, but I've always been okay with that just because it's so much fun. The ride is so much it's, fun. Even it's though you Douglas don't know Adams. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, so it's time for the plot in 60 seconds. It's the part of the show where we, one of us, at the behest of, uh, what do we call it, the quarter of... A Canadian quarter of indifference. That's it. The Canadian quarter of indifference uh, will decide uh, which of us will recount the plot of the 2005 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film in 60 seconds or less. Uh, Tucker, give it a flip so I can call it in the air. Okay. Just to remember, the queen is heads. Yes. And the moose head, eh, is, is tails. tails. Okay. So call it in the air. Heads. It is heads, which means you have to do the right. It's no, it means hands. you do. Sorry. All right. Damn All right. Can I'm I just read s- the back of the DVD? I you can, but no, I don't I'm know not gonna. that's that's like 15 that's, seconds. Like right. I mean, we've 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 had some plot in 60s that have gone on that long. Um, so I will give you the 30 and the 10 second warnings as usual, uh, yeah. and your time begins whenever you begin uh so arthur dent is a guy and he's fucking pathetic and his friend uh most deaf is a space alien and these dudes are about to blow up the earth so most deaf helps arthur dent to get onto a ship of the guys who are blowing up the earth and it turns out they don't like hitchhikers so they poop them out into space and the the improbability drive driven ship that has Sam Rockwell 30 seconds and, and the manic pixie girl, what's her name? Uh, not Emily Zoe Deschandel on it. Um, 
And then they do a bunch of crap that is are really fun set pieces. And some of the gags are really great, but ultimately doesn't amount to shit. And then they rebuild the earth or something at the end. And, and then they, they decide to uh, really promote the sequel that never was by talking about the restaurant at the end of the galaxy like 50 times in the last three minutes. Like, we get it. And we get that's it. time. We know that's a book. We've heard about that book. We get it. We get it. Anyway. Yeah. And that's time. Yeah, that's it. Hi. That's the whole. That's all that happened in that movie, right? It there's like, a lot the of first twenty minutes, and then who fucking cares? It's it <laughs> it it does a thing. I didn't notice it until this time, but it does a, something that I'm re, I generally really hate when movies do, and I kind of it it did sour me a little bit on this movie. This watch is it's like fetch quest, fetch quest, fetch quest, fetch quest. Like we have to go here, and then we have to go here, and then we have to go here, and then we have to get this, and then we have to do that. Like there's like five MacGuffins in this movie, and none of them come to anything. I say by the time it's over, you're like, what? Why did any of this matter? Mm-hmm. Like it was fun, and we got Kinda. some really great visuals, and there's some some good jokes and stuff. Like it was a fun ride, but who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares. Yeah. Which, like I said, like I I my opinion has changed on this film, but I don't think I'm looking at it any differently. I'm just at a point in my life where it's not something I'm into. You've grown up. I've kind of, well, like I was saying, what was the movie I was saying about cabin fever? I'm just, I'm over it. Mm -hmm. I'm over it. I used to love it. But now when I watch it, I'm like, I just don't, this doesn't hit like it used to. Like there's some parts where I'm like, that gives me a good feeling. But overall, I'm just like this. I don't care about this. Like, I don't want to watch this. Like one of my favorite parts of this movie was the scene with the whale and the bowl of petunias. Like I have historically loved that scene and it just didn't hit the same way this time that it normally does. And I was a little bummed by that. I was a little I was a little perturbed. Um, I found Bill Nye kind of like. okay this time through, whereas I've always been like a big fan of his previously. Uh, in this movie so i don't know man like maybe maybe i'm growing up too but like i still like it but it's just not as it's not as strong for me as it has been historically like arthur dent has been my go-to halloween costume for like the last three years it's so easy it is recognizable of course the downside to that was uh uh, halloween 2022 when i dressed up like uh, arthur dent to go to to the work Christmas, the work Halloween party, work Christmas party, work Halloween party. Uh. <laughs> Everyone thought I was uh, just a work from home agent, despite the fact that I was carrying uh, a giant book too. with "Don't Panic" emblazoned on the cover. Like everyone was just like, "Oh, you're a work from home agent." I'm like, "No, I'm Arthur." And I'm like, "No," and I would show them my book, and they'd be like, "Don't panic, I don't." I was like, "Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy," and no one knew. And I was like, "Y'all philistines." <laughs> Uh, something that really, really, really turned me off to this movie this time mm. is I kind of got hip to how forced and unnecessary the love story angle of this movie is. I wanted to fucking barf. It has no business in this movie. Look, I get that the setup of that is interesting, but the payoff is bullshit that I don't care about. It, it like, kind of even, is. They don't even like each other. They're like friends at best. At, at best. best. And I mean, it, it, that's something that they do a lot with these Hollywood movies around this time. You, yep. You've got to shoehorn the love story in, and it always kind of comes off as a little force, particularly when the leads don't have chemistry. And these two don't. And it's, it's the one part of this movie that always kind of rang a little hollow to me. 
is, I mean, yeah, Zoe Deschanel is cute and all, but like, there's no chemistry with her and Martin Freeman, like at all. So that it feels completely unearned at the end. And really the only reason she ends up going to him is because a, they're the last of their species and uh, B Sam Rockwell lied to her because he's an idiot and didn't realize he was lying. So like it, it's completely unearned. I agree. It, it, it is. No, nah. does and that, that, that has never worked for me. Even if they do have chemistry, Arthur, that first time that you met her, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Did you ever see the SNL skit, like the perfume commercial Mm-mm. about red flag? It's a new perfume and Kristen Wiig is like this crazy bitch. And like they just keep talking about like all the like red flags that she's giving where you should not like do not engage. You know? Right. That's funny. That was like that whole scene for me is like red flag. Like, just walk away, Arthur. Walk away. You don't want to have anything to do with her. Like, she's no. nuts. No, you really don't. She's nuts. She she's is. obviously going through something that she needs to work out. That something that got her on a spaceship. A spaceship. Mm-hmm. Trying to go to Madagascar, man. No, I got work. I got to go to work tomorrow. Exactly. How I have responsibilities. You, yeah. you are you are an adult woman. What are you doing? Get your like, shit together, man. Who hurt you, Trisha McMillan? Right? Who hurt you? Right? Jeez, woman. But and I mean, it's this. I I noticed a very weird parallel that might prompt a hyper specific letterbox list later this week. Um, the um, uh, the the movie, the early two thousands film, a comedy film in which Zoe Deschanel is caught in the shower by the uh, by her male love interest. The other one being Elf. Sounds awful. Um, I, but, I, you know, full disclosure, I don't really like Zoe Deschanel. The only thing that I ever liked enough. her performance in was Almost Famous. She's a great big sister, and that's mm-hmm. it. Outside of that, I just, I'm sure she's a great person, but I do not find any of her performances appealing at all. I, I, I had, look, when this movie came out, I won't lie, I had a crush on Zoe D. Um, I think her dad's Emily's a really Peter. great, her, her really great dad, her dad's a really great cinematographer. Um, Mm -hmm. like he, one of the best, honestly, uh, he's fucking incredible. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I had a crush on Zoe Deschanel and then she was everywhere. Like very shortly after this movie, she just was ubiquitous. Like you could not get, you, you could not go anywhere. Like she had the, uh, she and him, um, she had, like, Which was a band for people right. who thought maybe that was a movie title. That was a musical group she was with. Uh, 500 Days of Summer in 2009, New Girl in 2011, uh, The Happening in 2008, a movie she should never have been cast in. <laughs> like she just like was on this tear in the late 2000s, early 2010s when she was just fucking everywhere. And you're just like, I don't. I don't understand why she's everywhere but she was if she was if she was i may everywhere. if i may comment briefly on her musical career mm-hmm. i always found she and him to be a little a little try hard a little like we're trying so hard to be wholesome and cutesy that and is kind of the energy i feel like she gives off just generally in her performances yes but i will say that i really like the song that she does with jason schwartzman on um his record night timing um Jason Which, Schwartzman, who has a blink and you miss it cameo in this movie. Yes, he does. But she did a song on uh, he had a band. Well, it wasn't a band. It was just him 
playing all the instruments and recording it track by track. Like Al Coconut Records. Called Coconut Records. The record is called Night Timing. It's really, really good. I recommend it to anyone. Um, also, uh, uh, fucking golly, what's her name? Uh, from Spider-Man and Virgin Suicide. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst Kiki, is on that yeah. record. Kiki D. Uh, Zoe Deschanel no is on that record. No, um, Jason Schwartzman's brother. Jason Schwartzman's brother, who is the frontman of a band called Rooney, which is also really good is on the title track of that record. And Jason Schwartzman is not just an amazing actor, though Steven, I don't think, has been exposed to enough of his stuff to have that opinion yet. Um, I, well, I'm not a big Wes Anderson guy, so I have... He's in I've, more than Wes Anderson stuff. Uh, a lot more, actually. I can uh, help you with that. I'll give you some I, recommendations outside of the Wes Anderson verse. Okay. I mean, I, I did see Shop it. Girl, and I didn't care for Shop Girl. Uh, that movie sucks, though. I agree. That's, that's what I'm saying. Didn't care for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Despite the but fact it, that it's Steve Martin's directorial debut, did not like. But Wait, Jason Schwartzman, I think, is one of the most consistently great songwriters of our time. I think that's where I really like him as an actor, and I really like him as a musician. He's awesome. But I think as a songwriter, that's that's where he peaks as far as talent. He is a Renaissance man. He wears a lot of hats, but songwriting, I think is that's where he shines the brightest for me. And I'm going to issue a correction. Steve Martin did not direct shop girl. He wrote it sure and the source it. novel yeah. and was sure the was star. Yep. Boy, howdy was he? Sure um, was. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, that movie sucked, didn't it? It, it did. It did. No, you'll get no disagreement from me. I was so excited for that movie too. Like I was like, Oh, shop girl. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, Oh, this sucks. That was kind of like, there's this like wave of like early two thousands, um, like indie films, like, and I, I put like Melinda, the same thing, Melinda and Melinda and like strangers in in fiction, lost in translation, uh, where you get kind of this, like, I don't know this this wandering kind of just like there's broken flowers not yeah not really a narrative here kind of thing um god I don't like any of them yeah it's just an old guy who has a very young love interest and it's really quirky I mean that's Hollywood like another Zoe Deschanel film yes man she's Jim Carrey's love interest despite being like 20 years younger than him uh, and Jim his, Carrey can pull off younger though. And like, his best friend in that movie is Bradley fucking Cooper. Like, uh, yeah, I'm supposed to believe that Bradley Cooper and Jim Carrey are BFFs. Uh, like I'm uh, supposed to believe that Dave Chappelle is BFFs with Tom Hanks and you've got mail. Like, come on. I'd like to see a Burbs sequel with Dave Chappelle as one of the neighbors just to get them together again so that they can be funny. Dave Chappelle and Tom Hanks. Oh, he'd yeah. have to replace... He would have to replace Homeboy because he died. Rick, to comment, well, who's going to replace Carrie Fisher? The, I don't know that the, I want the hologram they used in that one Star War. That's fuck what you. That's... <laughs> no, fuck you. No, absolutely not. No, man, the Klopex got her, dude. She's gone. Oh, that's, see, that's just that. That's mean. Like, it I kind of I mean, I don't want a Burb sequel just because I don't want to have to have them answer those questions. Like, I don't want it. Like I like the burbs, but don't do that to me. Don't don't make me go through that. I don't want to. Yeah, I hadn't thought of Carrie Fisher. You're right. Yeah, scratch yeah. that. Scratch yeah. it all together. Is is mean? Is mean? 
Um, and I'm not, I'm not a big Dave Chappelle fan, so I, I could care less what he does now. So I am. I don't like the things that he's been doubling down on lately. He's been I, doubling I down think... on some toxic shit, man. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that, but I, I really like his show. I, I like thought Chappelle's show was pretty funny. Yeah, in movies, like it's like it's like we broke up, but I can still have the memories of all of our fun times. You know, fair enough. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So so you weren't a fan of uh, Sam Rockwell's George W. Bush impression, huh? Uh, not this time around. It wasn't annoying until now, because f- I think I just because I love Sam Rockwell so much. The funny thing is, like when he's on the there's the special feature, the the making of special feature on the on the DVD, which you and I both own. He talks about his influence as a character, and George W. Bush does not come up once, despite the fact that it is clear. Yeah. Um. But he like he's naming off like bill clinton and like tons of other figures like uh brad pitt and like tons of other people that kind of influences depiction of the character and and george w bush does not come up once despite the fact that it is the most obvious analog possible like he is clearly just doing a jw or a gw bush impression now um that makes me think um, of something that that struck me while I was watching it this time because I did have since I wasn't enjoying it as much I did put a much more critical eye on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that all of these performances feel like first takes? Mm, interesting. Except, except for Alan Rickman and Stephen Fry, of course, because I mean they were voiceovers, vocal performances. But every every performance in this movie it swings for the fences in a way that needed some direction afterwards. Like that's the first take. And then you're like, okay, that was good. I, I, I like where you're going with it, but if you could just change this a little bit and maybe take about 20% off the top there, you know, you'd be good. Everything in this movie feels like a first take as far as the live actor performances for me. And part of that feels like it might be just Garth Jennings, not being a, a seasoned hand behind the camera. Like it feels like he's it feels like he's got a really great collabor he he's fostered a really great collaborative atmosphere with his actors, and it feels like that might have gotten away from him a little bit. Well, I still love the vibe of this movie. You can tell everybody's having a great time. Oh, and everyone's having a blast. Tremendous respect for the source material, and everything looks great. And there's so much effort put into it, mm-hmm. and you could that still shines through for me. But I just didn't. It just didn't hit the same now. And so it's, which is cool because now I can kind of look at it with a critical eye. And like I said about Dave Chappelle, we're broken up, but you know, I still, still remember the good times. Yeah. I mean, and I, there's still moments of this movie that hit me as so much fun. Every time I watch it, like that opening, that opening number with the dolphins is a fucking bop. And I feel like if we don't close out the episode with that, instead of our normal love theme, we're, we're doing everybody a disservice. Quite Can frankly. it be the OG version, the, the stripped down version instead of like the ridiculously overdone version, the one that plays during the credits instead of the one that plays at the beginning. That's, that's fine. It, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, but I just, because I, as I much love as I song. love, I love the opening and I love the song, Especially this time, it always has kind of been a, been a bit too much for me. But this time, mm. it was just way too much for me. As a, like as a fan the, the of music, the way it was, the way it was done, 
as a fan of musical theater, I think it's great. And it, and like I said, af- after that Congrats. number, like it, it hooks me like I'm in like that number is the thing that pulled me into this movie. And like, it wouldn't let me go the first time I saw it. Whereas it's hold his, his, it's grip has loosened a little bit, but it still grabs me every time. Like I still love to, I still love to see it. So I'm not gonna, not going to begrudge it ever at all. Like I, I think it's great. In fact, when I when I left my previous job, that right before I left, I put that GIF of from the beginning where it the close up of the dolphin and it says "so long" and thanks for all the fish types across the screen. I sent that GIF to the to the supervisor channel. I was like, "All right, bye, everybody." <laughs> I don't think most of them knew it was my last day. I don't. I I told like my boss and her boss, and that was it, and like the rest of my team, and no one else knew. Uh- so. Um, so yeah, like I just kind of threw that in there. I was like, bye. And wow. then I think, you know, the next week everyone's like, Hey, where's Steven? Oh no, he's no, I, I, I don't think anyone asked that question. I don't think anyone cared. Um, all in all, we're just another brick in the wall, really. Another cog in the murder machine as the, the great MCR once says to go to the retirement home or possibly hospice. There you go. Um, but no, like so long and thanks for all the fish. It's a fucking bop. I love it. And I kind of wish there had been more songs in this movie. Um, I, there's that one weird hymn that they sing when they enter, uh, Hamakavula's church. Um, which I, I like, I like that every iteration of this story is very different from the one that precedes it. Like it started as a radio play and the radio play was very different from the book that came after the book was very different from like the TV miniseries was very different from the computer game was very different from the movie. Like everything is very, very different from everything that came before it. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of this franchise. Weirdly, if you call it that, and you probably could, um, it's a multimedia franchise for sure. It's been across all sorts of medium, but like it's, is the fact that it's not beholden to any kind of continuity. Um, it's not beholden to any kind of canon, uh, which I think is really fucking fun. And about the only other thing that I know of that does that is like stuff like the Simpsons that are not beholden to any kind of continuity where yeah. like if, if it's convenient for a joke, then the Simpsons live right outside the parking lot for the, the nuclear plant. If that's, if that's the joke, like it just, in the next episode, that's not the case. Like, I love that. So Garth Jennings hasn't done any other live action films since he's done one, What's that? uh, son of Rambo in 2007, written and directed by Garth Jennings and starring oh, the future Adam Warlock, Will Poulter. I thought that was as a kid. Oh, wait, so that's not a real thing? It's a movie about something? I thought, I've read the bo- back of this box way back in the day when it came out, and I totally misunderstood what it was, and I've I've thought that it was a completely different thing ever since then. No, it's, it's but you know those kids that, like, made their own recreation of the Temple of, uh, or um, not Temple of Doom, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's kind yeah. of like that, but First Blood. Like, two kids decide to set out and, like, make their own shot-by-shot it's- recreation of... Uh, first blood but is it a remake of first blood or is it the story about these kids making a remake of first blood? i think it's the story of the kids remaking first blood if i'm not mistaken okay because i was under the impression that it actually was like some movie that a couple kids made 
No, it's it is a Garth Jennings film. Um, wow, okay. And the the tagline "Make believe, not war." During a long English summer in the early '80s, two schoolboys from differing backgrounds set out to make a film inspired by First Blood. Should I see it? Have you seen it? I haven't. No, I've I've That's actually. This is the only of his four films that I've ever seen. He is also the man point? behind the Sing franchise, the the animated oh. film Sing and Sing Two. Um, those are the four films. And again, that this was one of those. I, I was talking about this on the "What Are We Watching" um, segment for this week, but like you know, just sitting down and watching a movie and looking up the director and realizing he's only made a few films and going, I could probably watch his entire filmography. Um, this is actually uh, "Son of Rambo" is actually streaming on Paramount Plus right now. So, oh sweet, yeah, I it's accessible. That on my list, I made a list of the Irishman and that Muppet Show. You definitely need to see Muppet Mayhem. It's it's is real good. Um, and looking at his music video output, uh, what stands out to me is he does a lot of music videos for artists that I enjoy, but he worked with them after I stopped enjoying them. Right. Yeah. Like Eels, their first record was great. After that, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Beck, I mean, is anything after Odelay? Except for Sea Change, like, I guess in Midnight Vultures. Overall... After Odelay, not a huge fan. There's some some gems in there, but I, I love his appearance on Futurama. That was a washboard break. REM after um that one record of theirs where I was like, okay, I guess that's what the video, last REM record. What video did he do of theirs? Imitation of life. I actually like that video. I do. I like that song too. That the last record of theirs that I liked was New Invent New Adventures in Hi-Fi. And I think that is an amazing record, but after that I don't like anything that they've done. Up is Up is a really good album. Um I I, I really like Up. Um the song Day Sleeper is one that was running through my head on repeat a few weeks ago and it it fucking rips. Like I, See, I my my one of my best friends in high school was an REM apologist, like loved REM. And so like every time they came out with a new album, anytime there was a new development with the band, like when Bill Barry left the band, like I knew all about it because he knew all about it. Um, you know like, all about homeboys aneurysm and shit. I'm sure he does. Like he's, he was like, that was his, that was half of his personality in high school. The other half was Superman. Like he loved Superman and he loved, um, REM. Justin, if you're listening, hi. Um, that's my name. And I loved REM when I was younger. And Superman? I don't really give a shit. Okay. Well, you're almost there. R.E.M. is, was, is, I guess, is the shit. I think New Adventures in Hi-Fi really sort of is a transitional album from kind of what they had been doing to what they were going to do. And while right. I enjoyed the transition, after that, what they were doing was not really my thing. Records like Document, Time Out of Mind, uh, Automatic for the People, Monster... Mm -hmm. New Adventures Hi-Fi. Green. Green is phenomenal. I was about to say, if you don't mention green, we're going to have a problem. Basically everything up to and including New Adventures and Hi-Fi is my shit. But after that, I just... And that's fine. I have a lot of artists like that. Like one of my yeah. favorite bands, Bell and Sebastian. Mm -hmm. After Fold Your Hand Child, I don't really care. Well, and that's but just everything it, like... up to then is enough good shit to where they're still one of my favorite bands. And I think that's kind of part and parcel of like our attitude toward this movie or like particularly your attitude toward this movie. Yeah. There comes a point where you just kind of have to stop. Like I do that with TV, like after the finale of lost, 
and I think I may have talked about this on this podcast before. Oh, yeah, I don't know if times. I have or not. Um, like I gave myself permission to stop watching a show when I didn't, when I stopped enjoying it. And I've done that a lot, or I've just like thought about like, Oh, there's a new season of blank coming out. I, I, I might get to it. I might not like, I give myself permission to not feel like I have to watch something if I'm not into it. Um, because life is too short and there's way too much. And like, there are some things I know I'm never really going to get to, and that's fine. But like, and I think that comes down to like this movie as well. Like, yeah, you're gonna, not everything's for every person. So there are things that you're probably going to enjoy that other people might not, or there's things that um, you might not like as much as other people. Like that's, to be expected. So, and, and something, sometimes your tastes change something you liked before you don't like now. And so and the opposite is true as well. There's yeah. some stuff that I saw when I was a teenager or even like in my twenties that I just did not care for. And then upon reinvestigation, I really, really dug. Right. You're like, why was so I sleeping of, on this thing? It yeah. works both ways. Yeah, it does. Sure. And, and that's just it. Like I, I am, there's a part of me that's suspicious of anyone who's not willing to re-engage with something. Like I am perfectly willing to admit that I might be wrong about something that I've saw once. Um, and so I might go back to it several times. Like I like that's, that's something I know that infuriates Brett sometimes is I'll go back to stuff that I loved as a kid and I'll watch it. And I go, not that good. Yeah. Um, and he's like, but you loved it as a kid. I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't have good taste as a kid. What can I say? And, and then I there, still have those memories and they're right. great. And then there are sometimes I'll return to something I, I, I didn't like as a kid and I'll be like, that's really great. Or like, I'll, I'll watch something and like, not really, it won't really work for me. And then I'll talk to some people about it and I'll watch it again and I'll reappraise it. And like a, the big example for me, American werewolf in London, I did not like that movie the first time I saw it. I didn't like it. And then I revisited yeah, it. I it, went back after like hearing a bunch of people talk about it and kind of like, and I, really engaged with it and i was like what the hell was i thinking like this is really 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 fucking good yeah american werewolf with london it's funny that you mentioned that because that was one uh that i saw when i first started getting into film which means i was pretty much just only watching horror films right and so i watched that movie and it was weird because i was like i know i'm supposed to like this and i can see that it's well made but I just don't care. It's the opposite of this movie. Whereas mm -hmm. now I will watch the shit out of some American Werewolf. I, you know what? I was the same way with um, Night of the Living Dead. The first time I saw that, I was not really into it. I was like, that I was mean, the movie that got me into films. There you like, go. Where I was like this, like I've always been aware of movies and I liked this movie and that movie, you know, like Ghostbusters, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that was the one where I was like, this is, this is a this is the thing I'm interested in, like just film as a whole. Right. Weirdly for me, that movie was Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Wild. Yeah, pretty wild. But like that's I think that's but again, and that's going to be different for every person. Like I know for a lot of people, horror resonates with them because it helps them like put their own trauma in perspective or something like there. There are lots of different reasons why people engage with different kinds of cinema. And not everything is going to work for every person. So just because you don't like something that other people like, or that other people like something that you don't doesn't make you write them wrong or vice versa. It just means that not everything is made for every person and you should like, you know, let people enjoy what they enjoy. 
Um, and you and I are going to disagree. Like, I think I like this film more than you do. I'm, I'm not, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. Like there are things that don't work and I'm, I will admit that. And there are things that worked for me before that didn't work quite as well this time, but by the same token, I still got a lot of nostalgia for this movie. Like I carry this, this franchise as a whole pretty close to my heart. I, I really like it. So I'm going to, I'm going to be pretty positive on this movie. It sounds like you might not be as positive as I am. And that's okay. But well, like I said, I've got a lot of really good memories of it. So I still have a positive outlook on this movie. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I have any interest in ever watching it again. Fair. Like, because Um, this time things didn't hit the way that I feel like they used to. Right. And like cabin fever, I think I'm just over it. I've just outgrown it. And that doesn't mean that like, I'm better than this movie. Right. I'm smarter than this movie, it which just is, means I think, this was th- something I used to like, and my tastes have slightly changed. Right, and that seems to be like the default on Twitter is, or any social media platform. Like, I didn't like this, therefore I'm better than it, and better than you if you liked it. Um, and no, that's not the case at all. Like, no one sets out to make a bad movie. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, like, there, and you here's the thing: you can see the love and the effort that went into this movie. You can tell the cast is having a great time. Like no one went into this going, I'm going to make something that's really overrated. No, they went in thinking, honestly, I think they went in saying, I, we want to do justice to the memory of Douglas Adams and to this story that he spent most of his life crafting and creating. And that's admirable. I think like that's, I think really, really phenomenal. And I want, I want, I want to live in that world. I want more of that. Like, I, I love that. That is the, ca- I wish more movies were made with that. And I think you, you know, you may disagree. You may not like Hamakovula cause he's not in any of the previous iterations. I love him because John Malkovich is really fucking good in this movie. Like, now, I think John Malkovich is having a fucking blast. Like the, the whole, ah, chew bless you joke is a perfect joke. I don't care who you are. That joke is fucking perfect. It's a, it's a Mel Brooks joke. It's what it is. And it is and good. See, it's a good when, one. And anyone else that would say that, I would think it was a compliment. You say it, and I know oh, it's no. an insult because you don't no, like Mel no, Brooks. No, 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 no. It's absolutely not an insult. Like, Mel Brooks is another one where, like, I get, I get why people like him. But that's never really been my type of humor. Like it's a bummer good. that they sequelize History of the World Part One because that was the only Mel Brooks movie we could have covered on the main feed, and now it's got a sequel, so we kind of can't. Like, fucking respect, but also no, thank you. And that's another example of something that is a lot of people like, but you have decided that's not for you, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, speaking of Hamakavula, is it just me, or did they just take like the first words of Bippity Boppity Boo? from Cinderella and make it this guy's maybe here's the thing. Am I wrong? Am I remembering I that song wrong? Because that's what they, that's one of the nonsense words Two of the nonsense words they say in that song when she's saying magic words. And I um, used to have a Disney sing along tape, even though I've only seen Cinderella a few times, I used to have a sing along tape that had that song on it. So I've seen that, listened to that particular song many times. I am looking up the lyrics right now. It's, Salica do Lamenthica boo la bibbity bobbity boo. Every time it doesn't change. No, Salica do Lamenthica boo la bibbity bobbity boo. But you uh, can see where like it would totally fit in there. Like, uh huh. 
Salakadula Ming, um, Menthika Boo But the thing above that does the job is Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. I mean, no, I absolutely uh, how I you love could nonsense songs, and I love that song. Yeah, I, I can see how you keep the Hamakavu. That yeah, I, I see how you get there. That is that's not what they're doing, but it fits it. Yeah, it. I mean, I and again, it it's it's something I kind of love about this and. I if if this if there's something that this movie doesn't do is it doesn't capture enough of Douglas Adams's really absurd off kilter sense of humor, which comes across in his writing really well. Like the ships hung in the air the way that bricks don't, and, and somehow get, you know exactly what that means and what that looks like, but you don't. You're not able to get that in a movie the same way that you are in a book. Unless you, um, and except for when Stephen Fry is narrating, and that's why I think those parts sing particularly well for me personally. Well, and they get so close so many times, but I feel like I think the biggest problem with this movie is that it wasn't willing to go full Adams. Mm. Like it had to be accessible as a film. You know what I mean? And I understand that. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish it didn't have to be that way, but you have to you have to make a movie people are going to see. Like, yes, art is important, but the studio has to make money. The studio's spending money. They have to make money. Right. You can't just put out some like wild ass absurd shit as a mainstream movie and expect audiences to go see it. Right. Like, so it sucks, but I get it. And they get so close so many then, times. Like, you see you that get... they understand. Yeah. But they can't quite. They just. The problem with that is that when you ride that line, it's accessible to an audience, but not engaging enough for for the mainstream audience. And then it alienates the diehard fans by not going far enough. So you water it down enough to where you can accommodate John Q. Dude off the street who's not familiar with it and hopes that they'll come in and watch it, but they don't have a base of knowledge, so they're not going to come see it. And then the diehard fans that are going wanting the full Adam, wanting the full Adams are going to be left kind of cold. And so you have this kind of bizarre watered down middle ground where who is this movie for? And we, and that's another thing that we, we find a lot on this podcast, particularly when dealing with existing IP being adapted to film is in an effort to make the thing accessible to a wider audience, you end up losing the, the core audience that you are expecting to be able to draw into this thing. Absolutely. Uh, did this movie do well? I'm not. I, I'm not no. trying to rush things, but no, like, it didn't. I, because I saw it at the theater, and then I was excited when it came out. I wasn't really paying attention, right? Um, I didn't know. Like, I'm really interested in this section of the pod because I don't know how much money it made. I don't know like how far they got into trying to make a sequel for it, right? Like, so, so this movie opens April 29th, two thousand and five. Uh, and it it opens to 21 million. It's number one at the box office. It's opening week. So not bad in terms of numbers. Um, big drop. However, it only grosses 51 million total. So huge drop, not That's a multiplier. Like the That's the budget. Right. They broke even, basically. Right. Taking out marketing. That doesn't count marketing. Exactly. And then you get another 51.7 international. So you're oh, looking nice. at about just over a hundred million worldwide, which is not, okay. not the kind of showing you want for something that's meant to kick off a franchise. Yeah, uh, cl- critical reception seemed to be kind of lukewarm. Um, yeah. 
we'll get to that here in a second. It opens at number one um, in its opening weekend. Uh, second place, a movie I'm pretty sure I saw in theaters also, maybe like the week after when we were like in that kind of limbo state, uh, The Interpreter, um, Sean Penn and yeah. Nicole Kidman in a UN thriller. Um, I saw that one in theaters and I could not tell you a damn thing about it. Um, Nicole Kidman, love her. I just can't do Sean Penn, man. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of there with you now. Like he's, I, I will, I will say he is a great actor. Sure. But there's something about him that just rubs me the wrong way. Same. I you know what? I feel the same way about Meryl Streep. And like, the only thing that I like him in, well, I don't even like him in it. It's just, he's not, he's not in it enough for me to be offended by his presence. Right. Is the game. Which is amazing. BT the does. game is Michael so good. Douglas in the game was that Ridley Scott does that one? No, it's David no. Fincher, man. David Fincher, yeah. Yeah, Fincher. I get them mixed up a lot. I don't know why. I, I mean, the color schemes they use. Sure. Very dark, muted colors. Right. Ridley's just been at it for like twenty years more than. Yeah. Than, yeah. And they both they both directed uh, installments in the Alien franchise, so. Um, but then uh, in third place, starring the uh, the star of last week's movie, Torque, Triple uh, X State of the Union, starring Ice Cube, oh. uh, opening in number third to twelve point seven million in its opening weekend. I uh, like all three of them Triple X movies. Like they're not good, but it's just really fun. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen one of them. It's just loud and ridiculous, and but it's like kind of clever. Like it, the set pieces are fun and clever. It's like so. extreme sports. James Bond is the is the yes. hook on that one, right? Yeah, and I don't know if that's for like, me, but one the first one was with Vin Diesel, and then mm-hmm. Vin Diesel didn't want to come back, just like Fast and Furious mm-hmm. didn't want to come back till the till the franchise gained some momentum. So right, Ice Cube stepped in, and then the third one is Vin many Diesel. years later is a legacy sequel. Which Vin was Diesel. good too because because it's Vin Diesel and Ice Cube though Ice Cube's only in about half of it but he's way more than like a cameo. Oh, good for him. Yeah, it's it's I like those movies. Like like I said, they're not good, but they're so much fun. Fair enough. So much fun. Uh, in fourth place, you've got a future episode of this podcast, the Amityville Horror remake, uh, which in its uh, third weekend has grossed uh, fifty four point eight million dollars. Uh, in fifth place, another future episode of this podcast, Sahara, starring Matthew McConaughey and Steve Zahn, uh, based on a Clive Cussler novel series. I remember um, seeing the poster to that and being like, I can't stare at just like sand and beige clothes for mm-hmm. an hour and a half. So that's not for me. I saw that movie with an ex-girlfriend of mine and her parents had one of the, her parents were very conservative and they had one of those things on the on the TV that like blocked out any like suggestive <laughs> dialogue or like profanity or like suggestive scenes. And so like I can't random that shit exists. It Just does. don't watch it. Don't watch it. Exactly. So You're randomly in the middle of the movie, intended. it would like cut to like like a, like a field of tulips or something in the middle of the movie or like a puppy. And I'm just like, wait, what is this? And she's like, it's, this is just the thing. Like, cause she was not as conservative as her parents, but like, it was just kind of the one, like if we, if we watch a movie with her parents, we have to endure this. So we did. Oh my. Yeah. It was, Why it was bother? exactly. So the first time we end up when we cover this movie on the podcast, that'll be the first time I end up actually watching that damn movie. <laughs> I look forward to hearing that story again when we do cover it. We, uh, you guarantee it. 
Um, also, uh, rounding out the top 10, in number six, you've got A Lot Like Love. Uh, in seventh place, Fever Pitch, a.k.a. we're going to try to let Jimmy Fallon be a movie star for some reason. Uh, in eighth place, Kung Fu Hustle. Uh, in ninth place, Robots. And in 10th, Guess Who? The weird Ashton Kutcher, Bernie Mac remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Um, where it's the the race reverse, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Wasn't uh, there a recent reimagining of that where like the race roles are swapped? What was that's that. That's Guess Who? No, Bernie but Mac that was is an, the dad and like, Ashton Kutcher is the son. I feel like there's an even more recent retread of the same thing. Let's find out. Guess Something who. maybe in the last five years. Um, let me see. Under, I'm looking at the movie variant versions. Um, no, that's not a remake. Um, it may have been in a different timeline. Maybe, 2005 film. Guess who? Um, there's a British radio play entitled "The Summer of '67." I don't oh, think no, that's wait. it. It almost, oh, it was at the tip of my brain there for a second. And it says uh, there's a 2011 episode of the American sitcom Last Man Standing features an episode with a similar theme, although the couple is lesbian instead of mixed race. No crap! I just, I just had it. Well, if you remember, you'll have to let us know. Yeah, continue. I'm sorry. But yeah, so uh, the Tomatometer score on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a 60%. The critics' consensus, a frantic and occasionally funny adaptation of Douglas Adams' novel. However, it may have those unfamiliar with the source material scratching their heads, uh, which consistent with what our synopsis was. Um the Metascore is 63 based on generally favorable reviews uh, from 37 critics. And the Letterboxd score is a 3.3. Tucker, out of five stars, how are you rating 2005's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, past Tukey gives it a three and a half. Modern Tukey gives it a two. Okay, so two stars for you. I'm I'm giving it a three. Like I I liked it. Like I, I'm not like as strong on it as I once was, but no, I, I, I think it's a fun movie and I I do quite enjoy it and I will continue to engage with it. So like it's it's a lot of fun and there are moments of it that I still really love. I love that the the old Marvin from the the BBC miniseries is in the queue on the yeah. Vogue sphere. I love that the character design of the Vogans is such that like they've been smacked in the face their entire life from having original thoughts. So not only do they no longer have original thoughts, but they all have like their noses are all pushed up and their lips are all kind of like up. And if you as well. look at one of the main voice actors for the Vogans, like he just looks like a human version of that. Richard Griffiths. Yeah. And Ian McNeese both honestly kind of look like, very much like I'm that. I'm sure they, they had to have like based it on them a little bit little bit because yeah. like their vocal performance kind of lends itself to a certain image in your mind of what that person looks like and it looks just like and both ian mcneese and richard griffiths are large men large british men kind of elderly like they're great richard griffiths uh you might know better as uncle vernon from the harry potter films is probably how most people know him i i don't i know him from a ton of other stuff 
Um, but most people would know him from that. Ian McNeese, uh, I know from the the sci-fi Dune miniseries is where I first encountered Ian McNeese. Um, but he's he's been in a t- he was in like the old HBO show Rome as like the town crier. Like he's been in a ton of shit as well. And I every time he shows up, he's I thought he was a much bigger deal as an actor than he is. But I'm always, I think he's he played Churchill on Doctor Who or something. Like he's he's done all sorts of shit. But nice. yeah, he's he's a prolific British character. Both of them are prolific British character actors, and they look great. And I love. Yeah, I them. know. I feel like I know Ian McNeese from something. You, yeah, I'm um, sure you do. Like a lot of stuff that I saw once, mm-hmm. and then never went. Oh, he was the DJ in Steve Miner's Day of the Dead remake, 2008's Day of the Dead remake by Steve Miner. Oh God, that tells me everything I need to know about it that is movie. Awful. Sounds and like it. I love it. That sounds right. You you also, also Day of the it. Dead is also your favorite film in that franchise, correct? The original? Which is why, which is why you would think I would hate it because it is such a smack in the face mm-hmm. to that movie. It's so awful, and it just goes against the spirit of the thing. And it's like, what were you thinking, Steve Miner? Who? It, it's the opposite of this movie where they take a source material and then burn it, burn it down, and piss on the ashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, big but, bummer. But still, it's just so bad. It's so bad. And it's such a product of its time, like direct-to-video movies of that time. It's got that, they use the same kind of, when you see it, you'll understand. And Steven, you will see it. Uh, When you see it, you'll understand. It's got the the same kind of, like, lenses that were popular back then. Like the kind of editing and the handheld, shaky, like, but really sharp handheld camera movements. Mm -hmm. Oh, it sucks. It sucks so bad. Yeah, I but, hate it already. Oh, yeah, but I also hate it, but I kind of also love it because it has a charm to it because it's so shitty, but it's so earnest. Like, it's trying. It's trying really hard to do something. It's just the something it's trying to do is shitty, and everybody's really bad at it. Fair. Which the best kind of bad movie makes, I feel like. Fair enough. All right, well, that is our episode on 2005's hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy we end it by talking about a remake of a zombie movie hell yeah um i can't believe that's the same guy that's nuts i never made that connection connection i always wondered what i knew him from yeah ian mcneese is one of every time i see him in something i get really excited and then he's like barely in it and i realize and then i remember oh yeah he's only a big deal to me because i'm a huge fucking nerd well then you might like day of the dead Stephen, because he's a main character Ooh. No, you still won't like it. You probably won't. not. I mean, I promise he is, you will hate it. <laughs> he's Baron Harkonnen in the in the sci-fi uh, Dune uh, mm-hmm. remake, and he's kind of the best part of it, honestly. Like, I think he's really great in that movie. Um, but yeah, so that is our episode on 2005's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, look, we you can find us all over the place. We are on. Uh, we've got a Patreon, Disenfranch Pod, uh, Patreon.com/slash/DisenfranchPod. Uh, where we release now, I think we're going to try to make it a weekly episode uh, at the $5 level uh, called uh, What Are We Watching? Where we talk about what we're watching. And the one dropping this Sunday is going to be almost an hour long because that's how long Tucker and I decided to talk about what we'd watched the previous weeks. Two, two weeks. Hey, sometimes do... sometimes yeah. they're short, sometimes they're long. It just depends. just depends you know? on what all we've watched. And we had like two weeks of stuff because we didn't record one last week. So it's true. we had a lot to go through. You are in a rush. 
But uh, so, yeah, it's an hour long. Despite the fact there's two of us, like if Brett had been here, it probably would have been a full 90. Oh, yeah, because um, then I would have went through my list of video games I play. Right. Um, but which I, you know, you can do that with him next week and I'll I'll go get which a beer was, or pet my dog. Which or was something. a hefty list. No, I got a lot to say about Hitman and you watched that movie. So you need to be there. Oh, fine. Damn it. Um, Plus, they're, they're really funny stories because I suck at that game. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I I heard one of them already because you texted it to the group chat, and that was really fucking funny. The whole point of that game is to like you you do nobody gets it on the first try, right? You do it over and over. You find like you hear conversations that lead to this. Like it's crazy how amazing that it's like a living, breathing world that game. Um, but you have to play it a few times to kind of figure out what your plan is going to be to get this done. Save and it I'm for just, the paywall, I, man. I Save it for there. the paywall. I can get there, but it takes me a long time and a, just a lot of me just like farting around, like not knowing what the hell I'm doing. I wish I had a Twitch channel still because it would be prime material. It really would. Just start I'm it back up, man. This game. Start it back up. I'm sure. I'm sure there are listeners who would love to follow you on Twitch. I don't. I barely have time for this podcast, Stephen. I don't think I could. I don't Fair think enough. I could handle the Twitch. Touche. Um. But yeah, uh, follow us over there on Patreon, uh, three and five dollar level. There's always new content coming out uh, back there. Patreon.com slash disenfranchised pod. Uh, we would love your support. All that money goes right back into the podcast and uh, we don't spend money on ourselves. Honestly, it, it all goes into this podcast. So uh, your support means we get to keep doing this. So thank you so much. Um, you can also shoot us an email to some French at gmail.com. Let us know if there's anything that you want to see us cover on the main feed or just share with us your thoughts. Do we completely get it wrong about the Garth Jennings hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy? Um, do you have thoughts about a movie we should cover in the future? Let us know. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media. That is uh, Twitter, Instagram, letterboxd, Facebook, and YouTube at disenfranchpod. We are on all of those social media platforms. Uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at Chewy Walrus. Tucker, where can we find you on the socials? Well, to make a small um, addition to what you said, if you are looking for us on YouTube, obviously you can just search Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, but if you just have to type in the URL, it is at Disenfranchpod. Um Please include the which at sign weird, in the URL. But which yeah. is weird for a YouTube URL. But that's just, that's what they assigned us, man. That's the best I could do. Um, but uh, you can find me also on YouTube at youtube.com slash ice909. That's I-C-E-N-I-N-E. The number zero and the number nine. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, which uh, based on what I heard right before we started recording, this is down at the moment. Hopefully it's not still down when we release this episode because that would be a long time for Instagram to be down. But once it's not down anymore, holler at your boy at uh, the, the, the Tuck's Mugs, man. It's, Tuck underscore it's mugs. Tuck underscore mugs. It's, you know, my coffee mugs and pint glasses and other such drinking implements that I use in my daily life. Shot glasses maybe at some point. Also, once we get enough uh, followers we're gonna have some guest mugs and if you're feeling frisky you can send us yours and we will totally put them up there at some point absolutely and uh, brett's not here but you can find him on instagram and letterboxd at sus underscore 
Warlock. And uh, while you're on the internet, please swing over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a nice five-star rating and review. It's going to go a long way to helping other people find us and love us as much as you do. Uh, And so that is all she wrote for our episode on 2005's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am once again your host of the Disenfranchised Podcast, Stephen Foxworthy, for my co-host Tucker and the regrettably absent Brett Wright. Until next time, so long! And thanks for all the fish.